This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton, where I teach those subjects as well as product design. I'm super lucky to be joined in the studio by Dana Donafree, who's the founder of Ana Ono. Uh, Dana, thanks so much for coming in. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. You've got a terrific name, and I want to circle back on the name at some point, but it's I'm just going to give our listeners your URL. So it's Ana Ono, which is A-N-A-O-N-O.com. And so if you're someplace safe at a web browser, check it out while I talk with Dana. Uh, Dana, let's get started with the elevator pitch. So what's the elevator pitch for Ana Ono? I make uh, lingerie and loungewear for women who have had their bodies affected by breast cancer, often from a uh, surgery-related cause, either through a mastectomy or a lumpectomy, Um, those that are dealing with really bad scar pain, nerve issues, and things like that, um, aftermath of a cancer diagnosis. And we design beautiful intimates that fit and function and make a woman feel beautiful. All right. I'm guessing that... The very first question people ask after that is, well, what's so different about uh, someone who's had a mastectomy? Aren't aren't the breasts reconstructed and aren't they reconstructed in a way that makes them like any other breast? So so give me give us a sense. Get, tell us a little bit more about the problem. Yeah. You're absolutely right. That is the first question I get from everybody, um, unless you're a breast cancer patient or survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, my customer knows immediately what their needs are and, and why their bodies are different, but our common public does not. Um, And I think the issue with that is, is because we don't really talk about it. Um, Breast cancer is not a boob job. Mm -hmm. It's completely different. All of your tissue is 100% removed from your body and you're kind of replaced with a mound that mimics might look like a breast, Mm -hmm. but doesn't feel, touch or act like one. Mm -hmm. So um, not too different than an amputee that might lose the bottom half of their leg and their foot doesn't react necessarily Mm -hmm. like a walking foot does, Mm -hmm. but they still have a foot. It's very similar in that sense. And 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 what technically is different about that tissue that you have to like it, it, it's still I mean, if the if the surgeon is doing his or her job, it seems like it would be anatomically quite similar to a natural breast. Is that not that's not kid. true. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and and I, I think visually on the surface through mm-hmm. clothes, yes, it's okay. true. We we can look, we can feel whole, right. but uh, they, they're not malleable. They okay. don't move. They don't adjust. So you can't, you know, bras, for instance, are made to push or lift uh, or see. separate. Yeah. Uh, we can't have any of that work done to us because yeah. our surgeon's already given it to us. Uh, I see. Okay. So describe the product a little bit. What's different about it? Well, so I have three um, important product lines. They address a woman's need from the minute she's diagnosed into her life beyond cancer. Mm -hmm. And that was what was really important to me because once I got diagnosed, I needed to immediately start to solve problems that I didn't know existed. Um, I wasn't warned about them. I didn't know that they would be problems. So from the second you have a mastectomy and you can't move your arms, Mm -hmm. um, which means you can't dress yourself. Uh, You kind of have these tentacles of these drains that are coming out of you anywhere from four to six weeks after surgery. So I have a loungewear line that allows women to dress and take care of themselves Uh, and manage those drains. I see. Um, Well, let's see. You alluded to your own 
condition. So yes. we better go to the origin story. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just jumped right into yeah, the yeah, business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, so I, I was diagnosed um, a day before my 28th birthday. Wow. Uh, that was in 2010. So I've got seven years on me, which mm-hmm. is uh, really amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, I went through a year's worth of therapy. I underwent a double mastectomy with reconstructive surgery. Mm-hmm. I had uh, six rounds of chemotherapy, a year's worth of additional treatment. And I'm continuously on hormonal therapy to keep my cancer away. Wow. Um, the odd thing was, is I was also a fashion designer. Yeah. So this world collided with another world and kind of created this boom that, you know, ended up making Anna Ono. Yeah. And, and so give me a sense, let's go back to the actual realization. This was an innovation opportunity for you. Was it, did you look for solutions that third parties, I mean, commercial solutions? Yeah. I looked everywhere for solutions. I um, had a full-time job. I was a fashion designer. Mm -hmm. I traveled the world. I was in and out of Europe. I was in and out of Asia, sourcing materials all throughout America, LA, New York City, Texas, you name it. Nothing Mm -hmm. came up literally empty-handed. I made it my job for three years just to find a bra that fit me, and I found two. Wow. So that's not what you have. That's not in your time frame. It's yeah. not your time schedule when you're yeah. a cancer patient. Yeah. Okay. So this this pattern is actually a quite general pattern in entrepreneurship, which is mm-hmm. somebody has a pain point. They can't find a solution. They say, all right, screw it. I got to fix it myself. Right. And did you at any point say you were in, in a related industry? Did you at any point what, – what, well, let me just ask it more directly. What kind of validation did you do on the opportunity – before you said, wow, this is the, I can make my living doing this. Yeah. I think that that's a great question because I had several phases of that. First was the light bulb went off. Mm-hmm. And I kind of joke that I was up in the middle of the night from a hot flash induced wake up <laughs> call that we are very common during chemo. And I just I thought to myself, God, you know, why is nobody addressing this need? Yeah. Like, are we really that small of an audience that nobody's paying attention to? But mm-hmm. I knew that that wasn't the case because mm-hmm. there's three million individuals with breast cancer in the United States. So I know we weren't that small. And that's when I thought, okay, I happen to be young. I am a fashion designer and I'm kind of crazy enough to start my own business. And I always wanted to have my own business. Mm -hmm. So that kind of gave me the foundation and the encouragement to go out and seek those answers. And that's when I just, I started talking to my doctors. I started asking for their solutions, being disappointed with their suggestions. I started talking to other women um, in my yoga support group that was healing after the mastectomy. And each and every time I asked that question, I would open up Pandora's box and just get an earful of um, discouragement, frustration, pain. And I thought, wow, I'm not the only one dealing with this. You know, I tell uh, literally this afternoon in class, I said this, I'll say it on the air now, which is the first question in innovation is, is the need real? Is Mm -hmm. the pain real? And that can be some combination of how many people have the pain as well as how deep the pain is. So this was an instance where well, not small. It's not everyone who has this pain point. But the pain's pretty deep, meaning there is no solution and and it's this is a meaningful issue for right. people. Right. Um, so that that's pretty interesting. What what did you do next? How, how, how hard was it to design the product? You know, designing the product was not the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, designing the product was actually quite simple for me. I knew 
first of all, I was the best test model. I had the body of who I was designing for and I knew how to, you know, adjust seams and I knew what hurt me and I knew what didn't hurt me and I knew what fit and didn't fit. Mm -hmm. So I just started creatively, you know, moving side seams to the back instead of the side where I had scar tissue pain and, you know, redeveloping a cup that maybe needed to be two or three times bigger than what I actually could buy in the store Hmm. and adjusting the band to that cup and, and making that work. So the design piece was the the simpler piece. It was more, you know, getting the money saved up to buy the first production run, yeah. to make the website on time, to build your social media, all of those yeah, well, additional let's, pieces. Let's dive in on that. You'd been had you been had you done intimate apparel before or I had never done intimate apparel, but okay. I did do high fashion. So I learned a lot of tailoring yeah. and we did a lot of undergarments and our gowns and things like yeah. that. How does the supply chain work? So you presumably there are factories that supply for a lot of people. What a, a startup, how do they get into that world? What kinds of minimums are required? And tell us how you figured it out. So my industry experience helped me figure it out. I mm. pulled in every favor I've ever been lent to me. Um, I think my favorite box is empty. Um, (laughs) I've used all of them. Um, But I I was really lucky because I had a dozen years of experience Mm -hmm. straight in the industry. So I had vendors that supplied everything I needed. I knew how to find them. I had factories that could produce. Um, But the difficult thing is, yeah, is minimums. I mean, if you want to go to Asia, you're talking 25,000 pieces. If you want to go to Europe, you're probably talking 500 to 1,000. I mean, Mm -hmm. I launched with 150 pieces of one bra. So, um, And and that's across some sizes, too. And that's across sizes and colors. So um, I started my manufacturing in New York. And then I moved it to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And um, that really gave me a hands-on you know, production strength that I could use for time and for management of the product. Mm-hmm. Um, but lingerie is really difficult. Yeah. Lingerie is difficult in America because yeah. um, America doesn't make anything that a bra has. Yeah. We don't make elastic. We yeah. don't make hooks and eyes and notions. And so you have to import all of those products from around the world, really. Mm-hmm. Well, it, there's also this problem that you don't yet have demand right so you got to you got to walk those two things together supply mm-hmm. and, and supply and demand it's it's quite remarkable you were able to get started with so few in terms of those those initial quantities i would have guessed many more yeah. but but how tell me how you built demand at the same time that you increased the 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 product the supply yeah, yeah so I, I really launched that first um four styles of very small minimums all together and just wanted to see how they would sell. Well, mm-hmm. once I saw that they started selling really well and the consumer, my client was really happy with the fit. I was like, okay, so I invested a little bit more and I did another round. Um, I launched in May of 2014 mm-hmm. and um, in April of 2015 is when an article came out in the today.com that said, you know, I, I was bringing comfort and sexy back for breast cancer survivors. And um, I sold out within hours. Wow. Um, I was completely on empty. And I was only thankful I had an order backing up to it. I called my factory. I said, an article just hit. You've got to move everything. Do me, you know, do me this solid. And they did. And I launched my own pre-order on my website. So kind of like my own uh, Kickstarter, but yeah, on my yeah, own yeah. website. Yeah. And I launched that two hours before a People.com article hit. Wow. And I sold out of all of my pre-order. Wow. So it was just, I was chasing my tail. I was chasing my tail for about six months. Yeah. Well, that's a good problem to have. 
says the people that are running the business (laughs) that are are, are sweating every night. (laughs) All right. Let's let's back out and I'll be a little less uh, glib. Um, So so the 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 thing that's curious about that is that I think is generalizable is PR often does fuel these these spikes. Um, Had had you been actively courting media or was it pretty random that this happened? We were doing it ourselves. Yeah. Um, I had one associate that started with me, and we were just emailing the bloggers and sending the bloggers stories because we kind of heard the bloggers start to write, the writers want to write, and right. then there's a story. Right. Um, so that was really the tactic that we were taking. And um, I was working my full-time job mm-hmm. while I launched my business. And I said, okay, I had one more spending, uh, big spend I had in me. And this was this PR event in New York where all the stylists and editors and writers were going to come walk through. And it cost me a pretty penny. Yeah. But it's what got me that article. And it's what got the, you know, the ball rolling. So I would generalize. My my own experience with PR, I think, is fairly similar, which is uh, I I actually think that doing it yourself is a feature is a is a real advantage mm-hmm. because reporters get really sick of talking to PR people. They yeah. love to talk to principals. So look, you're a breast cancer survivor. You yeah. started this thing. I mean, it's a great story, and you reaching out directly probably is what got you that media. So I so I my advice to people, just generalizing from what you said, would be: it's not. Don't be ashamed of doing your own PR. It's very useful early. Oh, absolutely. And now, I mean, we're talking, you know, I was I I started in a world before Instagram was huge or Twitter was even on the map. And, you know, but I mean, a lot of these writers are incredibly accessible. You just have to put your attention to detail and your attention to that task and just, you know, go after it. Okay, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Dana Donna Free, who's the founder and CEO of Ana Ono. Okay, Dana, on the subject of Ana Ono, tell me where that name comes from. So uh, my name, Dana Donna Free, without the double Ds. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know. too bad it's buried in the like it's not it's just so good. <laughs> it's just so good. And some and some yeah. people uh see it very quickly and some people do not. And, I did not uh, see it. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I always wait for the ch- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I should carry a symbol with me when yes. I say it. <laughs> it is so good, and and even better than than you have the full dot com on a on a, yeah. yeah. So was that just pure luck that that domain was available? You know, I'll tell you what, and this is for anybody who yeah. wants to start a business. I did not, just as I didn't imagine my underwear drawer was going to be my problem with my cancer, <laughs> I did not think naming my business was going to be a problem yeah. with starting a business. Yeah, um, I went through dozens of names and I could not trademark a single one of them. And then I said, well, this is it. We're in the world where you have to make up words. (laughs) And so that's all worked out. Yeah. But how, how it was so brilliant. And, and so I I want, I'm somewhat obsessed by names and I immediately saw that I didn't, I didn't get it, but I immediately got that it was a good one. And because it has the vowels and it's, and Mm -hmm. the logo is quite lovely as well plays on the shared end but but uh how how did you synthesize that that name well once i started making up words um i thought well you know at the end of the day i'm a fashion designer Mm -hmm. and we all have these ridiculous egos that Mm -hmm. we think our line should be named after us like you're just you know of course you're donna karen why wouldn't your line be donna karen you're diane von furstenberg why not right Right. so i was like so you tried dana Dono. I tried Dana Dono. You're right. exactly right. Ah. I started reversing. I saw the the 
uh, I guess the, yeah. the the mirror of yeah. the A A N A and the O N O, and then yeah. I started flipping the D's backwards, yeah. and then eventually the D's fell out because I was trying to make them in, yeah. in a piece of the logo, and then eventually it just became Anna Ono. And and when did the pun occur to you? Uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'm told I'm not supposed to tell this part of the story, but I will tell you. No because... one's listening. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> My college roommate, yeah. uh, we were roommates all through art yeah. school. Um, I called her. I said, I finally have a name for my business. It's Anna Ono. And she goes, Dana, it's you without the double D's. And I'm like, that's perfect. Oh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> the yeah. best part is if you knew me before cancer, the joke gets even funnier because double D's would have been a dream of mine. <laughs> I see. It's even better. All right, I'm not going there. You don't right. go there, but <laughs> okay. Um, so, I, I, tell me a little bit. You you make this sound like, and I bet it was this scrappy, bootstrapped effort. You're keeping your day job. You're making hand to mouth to mm-hmm. get these these orders. It, at some point, did you say this is investable and investable business and 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 try to raise some capital from people yeah, yeah. Um, so actually you know I when I do talk to students or I talk to other entrepreneurs I tell them like don't do anything without a business plan mm-hmm. um, and I say that because I didn't have a business plan yeah. I just yeah. went for it I just jumped it took the leap I knew I was going to do it with or without profitability mm-hmm. and then I actually did my business plan when I went to go audition for Shark Tank and ah, I didn't even know about Shark Tank. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't make it. Okay. But, um, you auditioned. I auditioned, yeah. yeah. And I and I made it to the next round, but I didn't make it to the TV yeah. show. Yeah. And um, I think I, was, I didn't have a sale. When I auditioned for Shark uh, Tank, I had zero dollars mm. in revenue. and um, But I had to do the business plan to really present to them and answer their questionnaire. Mm. And that's when I saw, oh my gosh, are, are these real numbers? Because they look good? Because they were so good. Yeah. And then I was like, well, if these are so good, why is nobody doing this? And so what I've been doing for the last few years is I've I started talking. I, I had a really great career. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was able to take myself um, probably farther than, you know, some startups. Mm-hmm. I just fled all my money into the business. But mm-hmm. when it became the point where I was at a tilting point myself, mm-hmm. where I needed more money to get the inventory because I couldn't keep up with my sales, that's when I knew I needed outside help. But because I'm a totally brand new industry, mm-hmm. I'm servicing a market that's never been serviced before. The questions that investors have is, well, nobody else must have done it because somebody would have if there was money there. <laughs> so in, in, a, in another sense, I've spent the last two and a half almost or now three years um, proving that I have a market. Yeah. Um, I've been more than doubling my sales every year. Mm-hmm. And now people are looking. Mm. But I think the conversation's changing too. So I, I built a really strong foundation. So now we're working on our first seed round mm-hmm. and it's looking very positive mm-hmm. and strong. And I think that, you know, that's just gonna give us the fuel and the muscle that we need behind what we're already doing and, you know, already finding success in. Yeah. It, how how challenging I mean, you're in this in a seed round, so that isn't necessarily institutional investors, but right. but investors are notoriously male. And, um, well, I'll just leave it at that. Notoriously male, let's just say. So, so how, how's that going? Is it, you're going to like conventional sources or are these, are these people who you would think would have an affinity for this market? Um, I have learned a lot along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, uh, Diane Mestrel just wrote about uh, that exact thing in mm-hmm. the Philadelphia Inquirer. Mm-hmm. I was at um, Angel Venture Fair, mm-hmm. and uh, you could look around the room, and I think I might have counted 10 women yeah. um, in the entire room of 400 people. Whoa. Uh, I was one of three companies out of you know the 40-something that presented that were mm-hmm. women-founded. 
And it's a challenge. It's really hard. Um, you know, not like, you know, no offense to your first question, but that's yeah. often the question that men ask. Yeah. Um, and and women, because they're so intimate with their girlfriends or their friends or their sisters, they may have a little bit more knowledge about it, right? Um, and they might have just a little bit more education about it. But when you're talking to a room full of, you know, 25 investors mm-hmm. and two of them are female and 23 are male mm-hmm. and they don't understand that a pretty ball helps a woman feel pretty, mm-hmm. uh, it's a tough story to tell. Uh, so, you know, I have to usually weigh on the medical need or the necessity of, you know, how women need these garments to get through their treatment. Um, when that is, of course, a piece I'm doing, like mm-hmm. that, that is, of course, a huge cornerstone of my business. But it's also about how does a woman feel? Yep. And that's a difficult thing to express. Um, I'll give you one. I'll tell you one. My only my only um, bra entrepreneurship story, which <laughs> is one of my students designed a better bra, and her pitch was great because she stood up in front of the room and said, "I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it in your in, in your number." She would say, "She says three million women suffer have had." Breast cancer surgery, that's six million breasts. So just multiply everything by two. <laughs> the number is any anything to increase the numbers yeah, exactly. is a good is a is good a strategy. Good. <laughs> um so tell how how's it going? It's going great. Yeah. Um honestly, you know, now that we have the recovery wear line, we have a line specific for women undergoing radiation therapy. We now have pocketed garments for women that have had mastectomies that use breast forms and reconstructive surgery and lumpectomies. Um, we're really hoping to address and expand. We want to go into a you know a broader size range. We want to start swimwear. So you know the the white space that whiteboard yeah. is is very white, and you know I'm just coloring all over it. Yeah. So there's a huge opportunity, and and most important, you know our customers are happy. Yeah. You know, and and our breasts don't define us, but yeah. the way you express yourself does. Yeah. So if beautiful lingerie helps you with that. You should be entitled to it. Yeah. So I, I can easily imagine when we think about growth opportunities, you can take your existing customers, sell them more stuff, mm-hmm. um, or you can look to adjacent markets. Are there adjacent markets that are not about breast cancer? That Because the brand works. The brand could go a lot of places, it right. seems. Yeah. Yeah. And that was exa- – yeah, there was a lot of the idea behind my name, yeah. behind the logo. I didn't want it to look or sound like breast cancer mm-hmm. because, you know, women that have had reductions in lifts, um, even augmentations, yeah. have very similar yeah. issues. Um, it might not be for as long, but it is in the interim after surgery. Uh, I have a lot of women that come and buy um, my front closure bras for their moms that have open heart surgery. Mm. Uh, I dress a lot of women with multiple sclerosis or, um, hand, you know – uh, women that have you know handicaps or are in wheelchairs or have difficulty dressing themselves, um, so that's already happening organically. What I want to do is make sure that the clever ones aren't the only ones finding me. I want to help you know all women that need an alternative to yeah. traditional underwear to yeah. be able to find me. All right, we just have a, a minute or so, but I wonder if you could address the question of of going from designer to CEO. So what were you ill-prepared for? And we talked a little bit about the name, but other things you felt you were ill-prepared for and maybe what really prepared you? What about being a designer made you a better CEO? That's a great question. I mean, I wasn't prepared to never design again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My job is now something else that I didn't think or expect it to be. Um, But I think being a designer and having the experience I've had, it it allows me to be a creative thinker. Mm -hmm. So you know, as a CEO, you're constantly putting out fires or constantly trying to think of new ideas or new ways. How do you market to 3 million women when you don't have any money? Yeah. Right. So I think as a creative thinker, I'm able to attack some of those problems a little bit more head on rather than always cornering myself in a box. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and what what do you think you were ill prepared for? That is, what's the biggest learning? As, the biggest learning yeah. has has really been this financial yeah. um, investment side. I mean, I feel like I went to business school in the last nine months, working with amazing advisors yeah. and investors, and getting schooled at these you know angel fairs and investment groups and. And it, it's a it's another language. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I got diagnosed with breast cancer, I didn't know what any of the words meant. Now, here I am, you know, in this room full of investors. I didn't know, you know, what an ROI or a, you know, customer acquisition cost was. I, you know, I had no idea what these things were. So you have to learn an entire new vocabulary. And- All right. Well, uh, Dana, this is so interesting. And I'm really thrilled with your success. So thanks so much for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. Once again. Anna Ono, which is A-N-A-O-N-O. It's Dana Dono without the double D's, dot com. All right. Coming up, I'll be joined by Drew Lakatos, who's the founder and CEO of Active Protective, a provider of motion-sensing wearable devices which minimize the risk of injuries. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation, and you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.